Welcome to the Vetfolio Podcast, brought to you in part by DECRA. We're pleased that you've decided to join us as we explore the topic of treatment of chronic hypoadrenocorticism with our guest speaker, Dr. Patty Latham. Please note, the information provided in this session is intended to provide you with practical and timely information to assist you in your practice. The views and opinions provided are those of the presenter and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Vetfolio or its sponsors. Now let's dive into the session with Dr. Lathan. Howdy, and thanks everybody for joining us for another podcast. This one's going to address the chronic treatment of canine hypoadrenocortism. My name is Patty Lathan, and I'm coming to you from Mississippi State University. First, I want to clarify what I mean by chronic hypoadrenocorticism. I'll be talking about the long-term use of mineralocorticoid and glucocorticoid replacement therapy, whether these animals have a more chronic presentation or we're transitioning a patient that presented an Addisonian crisis to long-term therapy so they can go home. I'll be discussing treatment of an Addisonian crisis in another podcast. So when we have Addisonian patients, we need to replace their mineralocorticoid component, and we typically think of aldosterone as the primary mineralocorticoid in the body, and we also need to replace their glucocorticoid component, which we tend to think of cortisol. First, we're going to talk about replacement of mineralocorticoids, and then later we'll talk about replacement of glucocorticoids. So the two mineralocorticoids that we have traditionally used for treatment of hypodrenocorticism are flutrocortisone and DOCP, the longer term for the longer name of this is desoxycorticosterone pivolate. So I'm just going to keep calling it DOCP because I don't think I can get that word out very many times without getting a little bit tongue-tied. The major difference between these two medications is that DOCP is a monthly injection, whereas fludrocortisone is a daily pill. It used to be that when we were trying to decide which one to use, we did it based on the owner's preference. Would they rather give a pill once or twice a day, or would they rather give a once-a-month injection or at least have a veterinarian give a once-a-month injection? The big exception to this has always been animals in congestive heart failure with concurrent Addison's disease. In these cases, we tend to want to use fludrocortisone because it's a daily medication and the drug level isn't going to fluctuate as much from day to day as potentially would happen with the OCP. As far as I know, there's not really a study looking at the use of either fludrocortisone or DOCP in animals with congestive heart failure, but I think most of us have just gone with fludrocortisone because it makes sense that your daily concentrations would be a little bit similar, and we really don't want to have any excessive sodium retention in these heart failure animals. So there was a study that looked at renin concentrations in dogs treated with fludrocortisone versus dogs treated with DOCP. As you might recall from the web conference over Addison's, aldosterone is regulated by the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system. Basically, when an animal is dehydrated or hypovolemic, renin is released from the kidney, and it ends up starting a cascade of events, which results in aldosterone being secreted by the adrenal cortex. So when aldosterone is secreted by the adrenal cortex, it inhibits further renin release. So the idea of this study is that in dogs that are well-regulated with mineralocorticoid supplementation, then renin concentrations would be low. And this is actually how they decide whether a person is well-regulated is by measuring renin concentrations. However, this isn't very available commercially to us, but it was used in this study. So what they did is they measured renin concentrations in these 
patients treated with either Fludro or DOCP and found that the dogs on DOCP had significantly lower renin concentrations than the dogs on fludrocortisone, which to me suggests DOCP provides a much better control of Addison's than fludrocortisone. So my preference for treating dogs with Addison's chronically is to use DOCP. Moving on to dosing of mineral corticoids, fludrocortisone is typically recommended to be given BID, but people that are given fludrocortisone get it once a day, and some dogs do well on once-a-day administration as well. However, if you start a dog on once-a-day administration and you can't get them stabilized, then giving it twice a day should be considered. The other interesting thing about fludrocortisone in people versus dogs is that people routinely take one pill a day, which is only 0.1 milligrams, whereas when you look at the dosage, large dogs might be taking several pills of fludro twice a day. Apparently, one of the major problems here is that fludrocortisone is not well absorbed in dogs, which is another reason that the probably the renin activity is not as well inhibited by it. The starting daily dose range for dogs is 0.02 mg per kg per day, again, divided ideally. This dose often needs to be increased within the first year and a half after starting the drug, so people often ask about the difference in cost between DOCP and fludrocortisone, and I think it's pretty negligible, especially if you consider that over time, the fludrocortisone dose often needs to be increased. We adjust the dose in these patients based on weekly electrolyte concentrations. Also, keep in mind that fludrocortisone, as opposed to DOCP, has some glucocorticoid properties to it. So, whereas animals on DOCP must be on prednisone every day for the rest of their lives, there's some animals on fludrocortisone that don't need to be on prednisone every day for the rest of their lives. However, I start all of my patients that are on fludrocortisone, which honestly isn't that many of them, but I start all of them on about 0.1 mg per kg of prednisone per day at least, and then I taper it down to the lowest effective dose, which I'll talk about later when I talk about prednisone dosing, but... I'd say about 50% of dogs on fludrocortisone chronically need additional prednisone supplementation, whereas the other dogs don't need it. Now, the negative part of the fact that fludrocortisone has glucocorticoid activity is that the most common side effects associated with fludrocortisone administration are PUPD, polyphagia, and panting, which we generally ascribe to the glucocorticoid activity. Unfortunately, if you can't decrease the dose of this drug because then the electrolytes are then thrown out of whack, then we need to switch them to DOCP. Moving on to DOCP administration, initially when the first FDA-approved formulation of DOCP, which you guys might recall as percortin, when it was approved, the label said to give it intramuscularly, and that's what the label still says. However, back in the 80s, there was a study that showed that giving it subcutaneously was perfectly fine as well. And in my experience, most animals, if we give percortin sub-Q, then they do perfectly fine on it. That said, a brand-new FDA-approved formulation, DOCP, Cycortal, is now available and is actually labeled for subcutaneous administration. As I mentioned, I think both formulations of DOCP can be given subcutaneously, although the newer formulation is approved for that administration. 
However, occasionally we will have some dogs who don't seem to be responding as well to DOCP as they should be. Maybe their electrolytes just don't respond as well. Maybe it doesn't last as long, et cetera. And in those cases, what we'll do is we'll try giving an IM and seeing whether that works or not. We had one case recently here at Mississippi State where we were giving it sub-Q. The electrolytes were off two or three weeks after we gave it, despite the animal having gotten a couple of times before we switched it to IM administration, and then the animal was doing fine afterwards. The label dose of DOCP is around 2 milligrams per kilogram every 25 days. However, there is a study released in the Australian Veterinary Journal which used much lower doses. Some of those animals were actually on less than 1 mg per kg per day, and generally, unless we're talking about giant dogs, I like to stay at 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 least one big per kg per day per month. So what I do based on my experience and based on experience of some other endocrinologists is we start all of our patients on 1.5 mg per kg every 25 days up to a total dose of 50 milligrams per injection. So what that means is that your giant dogs, you might have a Great Dane or a St. Bernard getting only 50 milligrams per month. Now, with these dogs, they're getting a really low dose, so say you have the 70 gig dog getting only 50 mix per month, I monitor them a little bit differently than I do the other dogs where I'll check their electrolyte concentrations about once a week for the first month just to make sure that they don't ever get into trouble since we're using a low dose. I haven't used this dose long enough yet to tell you how frequently they get into trouble, so That's the way I do it right now. What I found that is that using this lower dose might actually be literally a lifesaver for some of these giant dogs because the owners just can't afford the really high doses that are labeled to use. So for the dogs that start on one and a half migs per kg per month, there are still some ways to try and get costs down with this administration. What you can do is after the, and I'm going to talk about monitoring a little bit later, but after the first dose, if you've given it and you found that it's the electrolyte concentrations are still good at the 25-day recheck and also at the 14-day recheck, then I might decrease that dose by about 10% that month. And then again, recheck electrolytes before the next injection and keep checking electrolytes, just making sure that they're normal every time the month after you change the dose. Now, obviously, for small dogs, trying to decrease the dose in these guys isn't necessarily going to be the most cost-effective the smaller they get because you're checking electrolytes over and over and over. So I only try to decrease the dose that I'm giving these dogs if cost is a major issue and the animals are big. In general, I prefer to keep the dose interval to 28 to 31 days if possible and I adjust the dose and make sure owners understand that the dosing interval is going to be more rigid if we use lower doses. So if you're giving a Rottweiler or a Great Dane, only 50 milligrams per month, then we need to make sure that we stick to the dosing interval that we've determined based on our initial blood work. If the owners try to stretch out the interval on their own to save money, then they're much more likely to end up with an Addisonian crisis, which is going to cost them a lot more money in the end. Moving on to monitoring of DOCP administration, we recommend checking electrolytes at 14 and 25 days after the first dose of DOCP. The reason we need to check it at these two times is that we use a 14-day electrolyte check to make sure the dose we gave on day one was adequate, and then we use the 25-day recheck to figure out whether the dosing interval is appropriate. So the thing is, if you only check it once, if you only check the electrolytes once at 25th day, then you don't know at that point whether 
the dosing interval needs to be adjusted if the electrolytes are off or if it's the actual dose that needs to be adjusted. So make sure the first time we give this injection, you check it at the 14 and 25 days. And if you ever measure at the 14-day period and either the sodium is low or the potassium is high, then we'll increase the dose by about 10% at each time. It's very, very rare in my experience for them to require more than 2.2 mg per kg, which is a label dose right now. And more often, we'll have the abnormal sodium or potassium in animals in which we've been trying to decrease the dose over time. So talking a little bit more about the dosing interval, even though 25 days is the label dosing interval for DOCP, I find it pretty inconvenient as far as remembering to give it at 25 days. So after the first injection, my recommendation is to check the electrolytes on day 25 before you give that day's dose. So we'll give that day's dose, and if the electrolytes are normal at that point, then the next month I'll probably check them at day 26 or 27, check the electrolytes, and if they're normal, I'll keep trying to extend the dosing interval by a day or two each month to try to get them to either every 28-day dosing, which is every four weeks, which some owners can remember better, or every... 30 to 31 day dosing, so that's every month. Again, this is more for my convenience and the convenience of remembering. I much prefer to get all of my animals on about a once a month dosing interval, and then I adjust actual dosage to try to save them some money rather than trying to delay the dosing further, because I think that just gets confusing. If you prefer to stay with the original dose, and spread out the dosing interval, I think that's fine. Just make sure that you're checking electrolytes along the way. After we get animals regulated on their monthly injection and we get the dose right, then I'm going to monitor electrolytes every three to six months for life. And the same goes with Florina or Fludrocortisone. I'll monitor them every three to six months to make sure their electrolytes are within range. Now, prednisone dosing, I think, is sometimes, even though it seems pretty simple for everybody, I think this is where we could use a little bit more education and figure out just the perfect dose to give these animals. So if the animal is on DOCP, I'm generally going to start prednisone about half a mg per kg per day for a few days until the clinical signs resolve. And again, these are in the chronic patients or in an animal that presented in crisis, and I send them home. I usually send them home on about half a mg per kg per day for a few days, and then I slowly decrease it to a maintenance dose. Now, the reported physiologic dose of prednisone is 0.1 to 0.25 mg per kg per day, and we adjust this dose based on clinical signs and side effects. So when I get them down to this dose, I'm going to increase it if the animal's just not doing right, if the owner says they're not themselves, if there's any vomiting or diarrhea, I'm going to increase the dose. Now, we shouldn't have to increase to more than 0.25 mg per kg per day, and if so, I'd be worried there's something else going on. At the same time, if you've got them on 0.2 mg per kg per day and the animal's PUPD, polyphagic, and has muscle wasting, then we're going to have to decrease the dose. My experience and looking at some studies recently is that I think that there are a lot of dogs with hypoadrenocorticism that are on much higher doses of prednisone than they actually need clinically. And I think that might be a mistake of those of us writing chapters and we talk about the physiologic dose being 0.1 to 0.25, and I think everybody strives to stay within that range, whereas my experience has been that that's kind of a guideline, and I can get a lot of dogs down to a lower prednisone dose than that, especially bigger dogs. Sometimes we'll end up with 0.02 to 
0.03 mg per kg daily dose of prednisone because otherwise the animals seem to be PUPD. They might be polyphagic. And one of my favorite Addisonian patients, when I had him at 0.1 mg per kg per day, he had some pretty significant muscle wasting along his apaxial muscles. So, again, you're going to monitor the prednisone dose based on clinical signs. You never have to do an ACTH stimulation test again in dogs that we diagnosed with naturally occurring Addison's. Again, only monitor based on clinical signs. And the other thing to know about prednisone dosing is that we double the dose when these animals get stressed. And stress can be either physiologic stress, such as they go to the park and they're really active or they go hunting, or more of an emotional stress where they have visitors coming to the house or even they go to the vet that day to get electrolytes checked, I make sure that owners give twice the prednisone dose. And over time, owners that are really good get used to knowing exactly when their dog needs to have more prednisone or not, but you need to help counsel them to figure out what it means. So that right there wraps up today's podcast. As a summary, remember that Addison's needs to be treated with replacement of both aldosterone and cortisol, Aldosterone replacement can be achieved with either a monthly injection of DOCP or a daily dose of fludrocortisone either once or twice a day. Cortisol replacements generally achieve via prednisone administration. However, dogs on fludrocortisone should be started on prednisone initially until they stabilize, but about 50% of dogs on fludrocortisone can be weaned off of prednisone long-term. And DOCP and fludrocortisone dose is adjusted based on electrolyte concentrations, whereas prednisone dose is adjusted based on clinical signs and side effects. Thanks for joining me today, and be sure to check out the Hypoadrenocortisone Web Conference and the other three podcasts that we have on Addison's disease. Thanks. Thank you to our listeners for spending time with us. We hope that you found the information shared in this session useful. If you'd like to learn more about this topic, please be sure to check out related programs which you can access from vetfolio.com. Thank you to our podcast sponsor, Decra, for their support. Let us know what you thought about this session and other topics you'd like to hear on future podcasts. You can connect with the Vetfolio team via support at vetfolio.com.